0: Today, we're bringing you an episode of Tech Titans. Marcus East, former technical director of the office of the CTO at Google, joins us in this episode to share his best advice on how to network like a leader. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Tech Titans.
1: You seem to be really good at networking with people, to building relationships. You seem to be really smart about the different associations that you belong to, professional groups, uh, and it just stood out to me. And I was curious, how do you approach that? Did you get involved with some of them originally? Did someone suggest that you do that? Like, what got your first? Like, where did you get your first experience into being a part of those types of groups?
0: Yeah, well, first of all, thank you for for noticing that. Um, for me, it starts at the beginning of my career. I was very fortunate. The 26 years ago when I was starting out after leaving college, I joined IBM and one of the things that was very important there was that people in IBM and the executives that I worked with in IBM really believed in investing in their people and building a network that would support them. And one of the things that happened very early in my IBM career is that some of the senior execs took me under their wing And there was a group of about 14 of them who then spent over the next couple of years a lot of time with me, teaching me about what it means to be a technologist, what it means to be helping customers with their technology. And why that's important to me is that I understood that having a network of people that you can learn from and a network of people that you can provide value to is critically important as a technologist. And I think that it's one of the things that helps to identify the sort of most impactful CTOs and and CIOs versus those who aren't. You need to be able to build relationships with non-technologists, with other technologists deep into your engineering function. Uh, And I think that I was very fortunate to have had that experience early in my career.
1: Yeah, so if people were wondering about like how to get started, you know, maybe somebody saying, I haven't been a part of the groups, but I've heard groups, you know, what, what sort of insight do you have for them? How could they get started?
0: Yeah, many of these groups have some quite interesting opportunities to engage with them through. Um, they have, for example, open nights where there might be some key speakers coming in and, and you can get to see how the group operates. Um, but we all know that personal introductions can be very important as well. And one of the things that I think has been interesting for me is is watching how some people at the start of their career are really good at reaching out and asking for advice and building connections and asking to be introduced into those sorts of groups. And I think you've got to, if you're at the start of your career, have the confidence to reach out to people who may be a few years ahead of you and to ask them for support. Uh, Just this week, um, I was contacted by a technologist and architect uh, over in the UK. Who is super interested at continuing his career. And he said, look, I've seen some really interesting things in your background. Would you be willing to talk to me and tell me about groups and and organizations that I can connect with? And I was, of course, happy to do so because it's the sort of thing that helped me in my career early on as well.
1: Yeah, I find out like when I was in that position, I was shy. When I was newer, I was more shy. But then once I learned how to ask, it became easy because yeah 80% of the people say no mm-hmm. but if you ask 100 people you get 20 people who are willing to help you 10 that it actually comes down to and you build three or four yep. meaningful relationships and it takes like a week to to kick that off so lear- going through that process and then owning a business and understanding how sales works <laughs> <laughs> you need a lot of at-bats and but like going through that process uh really builds confidence and also like for me, and and obviously for you, based off of that story, when people who are newer in the game are asking up for help, it's really pretty easy to help, uh, and I'm I'm often really open to it if they ask politely, you know. Uh, and so I would say for younger people listening, like don't be shy, like just do it. Couldn't agree more, Joel. And I think one of the other
0: things that's important is. It's good to develop a point of view even early in your career. So one of the things that was interesting for me was that back in 1996, I took it upon myself to write a white paper about the impact of the internet on technology. Um, Now, some of the senior execs at IBM said, that's not your job, but actually the paper was um, pretty well received. And so um, I then became known as someone who was really interested in what was described at the time as e-business. And much of my career since then has been focused on e-commerce. It's been focused on building large-scale systems. I mean, As, as an example, when I was back in the UK, I was the CIO for one of the largest um, not-for-profits over there called Comic Relief. And it's famous for having these big telethons. And the problem was that back in 2009, 2010, people were increasingly wanting to interact with the charity online rather than through the telephone. And so I worked with my team to build what at the time was one of the most scalable um, and one of the first cloud-based architectures that allowed us to handle a huge volume of transactions in a very short period of time. We were doing about 55 uh, transactions a minute in terms of overall um, technology throughput. And then on a credit card basis, we were doing about 500 transactions per second. Which was remarkable. Um, and what was interesting about that for me is that I really didn't think about that as a new thing. We were just looking for a solution to our business problem. But then I was approached by some people from the British Computer Society who said, Look, the cloud is something that people are starting to get interested in. We'd love you to to come and share some of your thoughts and your thinking with us. And that ultimately led to me becoming a fellow of the British Computer Society. so Um, That was a really interesting experience for me, and I think that people should always try to develop some sort of deep expertise in one area to help move their careers forward.
1: Yes, and then share their insights and opinions, even though it might not be like exactly 100% right. Open that up for discussion so people can at least join the conversation.
0: I couldn't agree more. And uh, just to give you another example this week, I was invited to join a group of senior tech leaders um, from around the world in a sort of Chatham House Rules discussion about challenges that they face. And one of the things that was interesting for me was that I found myself being a little bit contrary on that um, conversation in that many people were just talking about how great it is to be a CIO or a CTO. But I made the point that to be really effective CIOs and CTOs also have to be great partners to the business stakeholders that they work with. And the I think the skills that you need to be a CTO to be successful are more than just those technical skills that may have got us started at the beginning of our careers. You've really got to understand how to solve business problems and how to deliver business value. And the pushback in the meeting was that some of the people were saying, look, as a CIO, you're defending your technology from other business executives who don't understand it and I think for me that's a slightly old-fashioned approach and what's interesting in, in my role in the office of the CTO is I get to work with many forward-thinking tech leaders and because we're positioned as that trusted advisor they're very open to talking to us about some of their biggest challenges and that for me is is key because for us to be successful CTOs and, and tech leaders we always have to be learning and developing ourselves too.
1: Whenever I hear stories, I'm like, "Oh, that's right." There are entire groups of people that that still have that defensive posture that was popular a decade ago. But that's not how you get farther ahead culturally. Like, if I were looking for a new place to work, if I saw a def- if a company started saying, you know, about protecting developers or doing the, like these words or phrases are typically red flags for me because I'm like, all right, then they just don't have everyone on the same page in the culture. Yeah, I, I head for the hills when I hear people saying that.
0: But, I, but, but joking aside, one of the things that's key is that increasingly CIOs and CTOs are talking to us about the help that they need to drive, not the technology transformation that's going to support the business, but the cultural transformation that really underpins that. And it might surprise you to hear that one of the things we do a lot of in the office of the CTO is help organizations with that cultural transformation. To give you a couple of examples, I've done a lot of work with big insurance companies recently, both here in the U.S. and over in the U.K., and one of the things they're trying to get to grips with is how do they balance the desire to maintain their systems and and keep the lights on with the need to also innovate. And For us in the office of the CTO, one of the things that's key is that, yes, the technology is critical in being successful, but you also have to build a culture that embraces principles like um, innovation, um, real extreme collaboration, um, experimentation. And ultimately, I think the most important thing is a real strong focus on the end customer. And if you have those things, if you build a culture in your tech function that embraces those things, then you can really be successful in delivering business value.
1: I just get nerdy with like optimizations, like the supply chains. I haven't personally worked in supply chains before, but getting exposure to that and how they optimize within is just, it's, it's super nerdy, but also fun.
0: Yeah, and important. And one of the things that I'm really excited about right now is how AI and machine learning can help more traditional organizations change their businesses. So I mentioned earlier insurance, and many people think of insurance companies as being very risk averse very low when it comes to innovation. But recently, we worked with uh, one of the big insurance brokers um, in the UK to build their first AI-based syndicate. It's called Key. And the discussions that we had with the CEO over the last few months have been super interesting because on the one hand, his organization is around 600 years old and has been working in the field for that time. And and the Lloyds of London market that they operate on has been around for 600 years. And so they have incredible respect for the traditions that have allowed them to be successful. But at the same time, as a forward-thinking CEO, he could see that in 50 years' time, the way in which they operated their business couldn't, couldn't be sustained. And he actually sought a relationship with Google, not because we were an existing provider of technology to them, but because they loved our bias towards innovation. And I remember looking at him in this first meeting that we had, and and he said, look, I don't really understand technology. I'm not a technologist, but I do know that Google has leadership in this space. And what I want is not just Google technology. I want Google thinking. I I want to know how Google would approach tackling the problems that we're facing. One of the principles that I shared in that meeting was 10x thinking. And in Google, that's the belief that If you're trying to tackle a problem, don't just think about making it 10% better. Think about how you could make it 10 times better. And that requires you to really step away from what you know today to get out of your comfort zone and to think about the technologies that could really shape what you're trying to deliver. And in the case of this insurance company, that led to us helping them build their first AI-based and AI-driven Um, service, which um, is going to transform the industry. And and we really have a strong passion to help drive positive disruption in existing enterprises and existing industries that haven't necessarily embraced technology before.
1: Okay, so let me wrap my mind around this because I'm getting pretty excited here. So this 600-year-old industry leader, you get to meet with them and brainstorm technology products and outside-the-box thinking, and then help take that deliver that to them and help them to take that to market. That's like something you get to do. You get to be a part of that. Absolutely.
0: Process. And oh, not only do you get to do it, that is like one of the primary reasons that the office of the CTO exists. If you were to speak to some of my colleagues, they would say the reason that they wake up in the morning is because they feel empowered to help Google's customers find solutions to their most difficult um, business problems. And that doesn't mean that they have to use Google technology. The reality is that most of us, are pretty open minded in terms of the technology, but we just have this willingness to help them. And in this particular instance, what I thought was really um, interesting was that the company that we worked with had previously done lots of big pieces of consultancy work with big consulting firms, and none of those had actually translated into a tangible thing that customers could touch. And our bias in Google is towards action. And so we said, yeah, we can definitely have a conversation about all of the principles, but we want to build something with you. We want to build a proof of concept that shows what this could do and helps to inform the rest of the industry. And that's increasingly, I think, why many enterprise customers who didn't work with Google before and are coming to work with Google because they understand that we have a slightly different approach and they can tap into the years of experience that we have building products like YouTube, like Google search, like Android, that are used by millions of people. Uh, And that's incredibly exciting. And the best way for me to describe how I feel about it is probably what my wife says. My wife often says to me, The problem I have with your job is that you would do it for free. You (laughs) would absolutely do your job for free. And I just keep saying to her, Please don't tell my boss.
1: (laughs) Dude, that's amazing though, because it's, I, I get what you're saying. Like, I, I get to talk to you for my job like I am so excited that I get to do this and uh I had to do it for free for a long time. <laughs> like well, we I think we all do starting out uh but yeah I think that you know we hear that sentence about okay we help Google's top customers find their you know that's a polished sentence and I, and I get that, and, and that wouldn't ever raise an eyebrow to me having read it, but hearing a story about how you get to do this with this older company, and, and that just creates such a different mental image, it, it, gets it, it makes it so much more exciting. It also kind of is helping me understand about this concept of the office of the CTO, uh, because now you have like a group of these CTOs, so when an, someone comes into the office, they can get a specific area of expertise. Is that the thinking?
0: Yeah, so we're an interesting collection of different skill sets and experiences. Some of us are super technical and have been software engineers for you know twenty-five or thirty years. Some, like me, have come from more of a consulting background um, and have really spent a lot of time thinking about the business implications of technology. And the beauty of the team is that we get together on a regular basis. And using the tools that Google has made available, we can collaborate together, even though we're in different parts of the world. And so if I, for example, have a business problem that a customer has discussed with me, and if I don't feel that I have the right level of expertise in that particular field, I can just bring it back to the team and we will what we call swarm on it together in order to make sure that we come up with a really compelling proposition, uh, which will then help our customers to move their business forward. So the the swarming of the team and the way in which we come together to collaborate with each other is as important as the collaboration that we do with our customers.
1: Is that a methodology that's common out there, this concept of the team swarming? Like how to to execute on it?
0: Yeah, I think it's something that is gaining traction. Many of the customers that we work with are asking us more about that. And just to give you a couple of principles that I, I think are really important there. In Google, uh, the company tends to be fairly open by default. And what I mean by that is if you are working on something, as long as it is not confidential and protected by an NDA, there is an expectation that you will openly discuss it with other people and share your learning and your thinking with them, even if they're in a different team. So one of the things that was most interesting for me when I joined Google was that people in different parts of the company who had nothing to do with me, would often reach out and say, I've heard you're working on Project X. Sounds interesting to me. I'd like to learn about it. Can, you, you know, can we put half an hour in the calendar? And that openness, I think, leads to um, some really great outcomes. Um, and some of the meetings that I've been in, just having the perspective of someone who has been thinking about a completely different uh, field of technology for a few years is, is really powerful. The other thing that's important for us is that the tools that we use allow us to easily collaborate together on documents Um, and one of the things you might have seen is i've done a few articles for um, the forbes brand voice portal um, talking about the cloud primarily and the first example of that that i did i had about 42 other people in google who all came into that document to make contributions, to make comments, to make edits, because they're so passionate about the topic. And also because in in Google, we want to help each other. And tools like G Suite really help us to do that. And the ability to collaborate on a Google Doc completely enables that swarming mentality.
1: Okay, so I am a huge fan of G Suite. Uh, we use it every single day at the business, your show notes, everything that's in front of me right now is a G suite, you know, or a Google doc. I mean, that's just become the, the word now. Like, it's just like, it's the Google doc, it's the spreadsheets with my accountants and my finances and all of that. Like it doesn't even compare, uh, to any, I don't, I don't know. I'm just like a native on the Google docs and I'm a huge fan. That's, that's good to hear. I think that
0: um, I've always been torn because I have worked in a world where there were mainframes and there were very old-school applications. Um, and I absolutely love the freedom and the flexibility that tools like G Suite gives. But I also appreciate that you've got to make some cultural change to really embrace them in that if your culture in an organization is, is closed, you probably are not going to want to embrace a tool that provides that sort of open collaboration and that for me is another good example of where the technology and the cultural change sort of go hand in hand to get the best out of using a tool like g suite you have to be prepared to adapt your processes and your culture i'll throw out one customer example that i think is a really good one and that would be pwc the global consulting firm They have around 275,000 people who are now using G Suite. And in fact, we just released a video about that. And it has completely transformed the way that they work. And I'll share one data point with you that I think is interesting. Prior to them using G Suite, most of their customer interactions were done um, in a sort of formal structured way where somebody would send a calendar invite, someone would then turn up and they would sort of work together on that. Since they've adopted G Suite, um, the majority of their interactions with customers are now ad hoc, where they say, Hey, let's just jump on meat and let's talk about this right now. And as you can imagine, during the pandemic, it's been critical to them because they've been able to continue interacting with their customers and running their businesses. So for them, yes, the technology solution that we provided was very critical to success but actually their willingness to change and to adapt, their culture was the key driver.